The Mets were swept in two games by the Yankees over the weekend in summer camp, but does it even matter? Also, why the hell is Robinson Cano batting third? The post Mike Puma joins us to react to the Subway Series games, the artificial crowd noise, and how the bullpen might shake out. All that and a whole lot more. It's next on Amazing But True from the New York Post. Queens, New York. Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true, orange and blue, so amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks, it's out of here. We got you. And now, here they are, Brooklyn Zone, number 27, the F-I-double-G-I-E, Nelson Figueroa. Astoria's finest, number 69, it's Jay Swizzy, Jake Brown. Welcome to Amazing But True, a New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. I'm your host, Jake Brown, a.k.a. the King of Astoria, joined by my co-host, former Met, a.k.a. Figgy, Nelson Figueroa. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get podcasts. Please, if you're using Apple, give us a nice five-star rating and write in a positive review. You can follow us on Twitter, at Jake Brown Radio at Figgy NY. Mike Puma from the New York Post is going to join us later in the show. Yes, we're back, Figgy. Amazing, but true. The season is days away. We got a tease over the weekend of Mets-Yankees, and of course, with these initial games, Figgy, you get these overreactions a lot from both sides. You have Mets fans worried where they shouldn't be. You have Yankee fans, oh, we beat the Mets. Oh, I can't. I'm laughing how bad they are. Stop it. Stop it. To the point where Mike Frances is tweeting about it. Yeah, Max Maroff, a fringe roster player, made a couple of errors. Yeah, Luis Guillorme, a backup, made an error. It doesn't matter. The key is seeing these guys in the field, seeing guys pitch, seeing the no fans element, and just seeing live baseball again. That's the point, and making sure nobody gets hurt. The stats don't matter. Tweeted about this. It's just like the points and whose line is it anyway. The points don't matter, man. Yeah, and, and you're talking about comedy. It was some comic relief watching the defense and, and watching those fringe players. And, I mean, every little thing about it just seemed very rusty, very raw still. Um, and it wasn't from the starting lineup of players or the starting defense. I'm not worried about any of those little things from a two-game series. Again, fun to have baseball in New York and the Mets and Yankees going out there and just guys competing and coming out healthy. I'll take that every single time until the season starts. I'm not worried about anything with these exhibition games. Yeah, the Mets lost 9-3 Saturday. They lost 6-0 Sunday in the Bronx. Saturday was City Field, and you saw a lot of the cardboard cutouts, which I had trouble not laughing at when you see them behind. And, you know, you love that it's going to a good cause, $86, they, you know, 5000 of them, almost half a million dollars, and hopefully all that goes to COVID relief. But it was a little weird. I, I'm not a huge fan of them behind home plate, but it's whatever. I can live with it. It's just a weird element. The crowd noise, and we talked about this with uh, Mike Puma coming up in a little bit it was delayed it was definitely has some kinks in the iron that need to be worked out it wasn't perfect uh but i do think players do need some kind of noise they need that walk-up music they need some kind of semblance that there's someone there they need something that's you know kind of you know keep it light because if it's just dead silence it's awkward i mean you could speak to it you've talked about it minor league games you had fan no fans there it is a weird feeling and it takes you back to even think about it even little league you had moms and dads and coaches 
screaming to the point where there's always been some kind of noise in the background in your life to if you take that away it's a brand new ball game it's definitely going to be different and it's not something that these players are used to it's been a long time for most of these players um from being in an element like this even spring training you know spring training at down at their facilities in port st lucie those stadiums get filled to capacity they got people out on the lawn they have the music they have everything going and it's a tight run ship because it's usually they're one of their minor league teams affiliates that are you know they have all the same kind of atmospheric things they do during a ball game this time it's going to be very weird to you're going to hear the noises and you're going to hear the crowd noise you know the little cheers after a ground ball out and like you said a home run gets hit of course it's going to sound different because usually it's music being pumped as the guys rounding bases and you don't hear the crowd element so getting that balance uh, that balance of volume levels to uh the ambient noises and then of course the music and then the fans that's going to be something that they're going to work on and try and get the best mix to try and make it as realistic as possible but i don't ever think it's going to get real for the players honestly it won't get real for the players unless you're booing actual home players when they don't when they don't make plays or they strike out with with the bases loaded you're going to want to hear those boos even as a player you're, you're expecting that kind of thing if you get a different reaction and the artificial reaction is what you're seeing right now i don't know if it's palpable to a ball player if you're going to feel that adrenaline rush of the crowd after you make a diving catch you know and you're looking out at your fellow players and they're you know putting up how many outs they were on hey nice job and you have this echoing you know uh phantom noise that's coming from the speakers out in city field so it'll be uh interesting to hear the players talk about it as we move forward well it'll be a lot less pressure taken off guys and think about guys in the outfield like bryce harper would get his name chanted or you know a guy like oh your sister's hot or something where they're commenting on their family members i know that happens all the time and that's one of the things that you would think at, at, at the ballparks themselves maybe you start doing that maybe you have a, a small speaker system to you know get on the other team's player the right fielder you know put people in the bleachers that would be a fun element just i mean I don't know if you could do it. I don't know if it's sanctioned to be done, but how funny would that be? And, and it, it's something that players are used to doing. They're used to interacting with the fans that way. And, and you're not going to see that element to it being more focused on baseball. But I tell you what, when you start getting guys in a short season going through slumps early on, you're almost looking for a reaction from the crowd. You're looking for a reaction, something that gets you jump started. And it, if it's not there, I, I don't know. It's going to be a tough, tough thing. And, and it's not something they have experienced before. Remember, we've seen some of the best pitchers in the world, Matt Harvey, get booed off the mound and never be the same again because of handling how do you handle those boos and, and how you handle the pressure of the fans being there. I don't know if you can just go through the motions uh, of just walking on and off the mound without having that feeling of getting kicked in the gut when you don't have a good outing. So, I mean, th- this will be a, a test uh, of what it's really like to be a professional ball player. And speaking of getting booed off the mound, guess what? We're not going to see, and if we do, it's because of injury and COVID. We're not seeing Corey Oswald probably pitch one single inning. We hopefully will not see Paul Seawald Daniel Zamora, Tyler Bashler, those names that made you lose sleep as Mets fans over the last couple of years. You shouldn't see them. If you do, that means there's a problem. Yes, at this point, we might see someone like a Hunter Strickland who pitched well, and he is a veteran who's been in the league a while. You hoped you had that with guys like Jared Hughes and Brad Brock, but they look like they will be out for at least the first couple of weeks. They're not needed here. You know, They're needed at some point. I think Brock is a solid middle reliever, but it adds Figgy a lot of pressure and a much bigger role than it already was for Seth Lugo because now he's got to be the guy if these starters don't go past five we saw Porcello go five and he looked fine I think you want a six inning quality start three runs from him every time if you can get
get it. You don't expect him to be degrominant like he was in a simulated game with nine Ks, no hits. Not that he's facing, you know, real competition, but you know, you're not going to see dominant outings from him, but you want quality starts from Rick Porcello. But these pitch counts aren't going to be 100 and 120. And if they are, that might not be till September and in the playoffs. So a guy like Lugo bridging that gap to Familia, Batances, Justin Wilson, Edwin Diaz is uber important i know you like to use the word uber a lot we haven't been riding many ubers during this <laughs> pandemic they have you know half my bank statements were ubers but uh it's just his role is so big and that's why seth lugo kind of has to stay in the bullpen and not in the rotation yeah he's a guy with a rubber arm that can do it every other day and maybe multiple innings each of those times out right the, the guy that i think was the x factor that you didn't really worry much about you know he was pretty steady uh since he's been in the big leagues been Gesellman. You know, he's got some tightness that he's dealing with right now in his arm, uh, triceps tightness. What you're hoping is that he's going to be ready for opening day because he's a guy that can do the other days that Seth Lugo can't go um, or the other situations. If the Mets are down a few runs, you know, that's where you don't want to use Lugo. You want to use Lugo to protect the lead. But I think also you're going to have to see uh, a first time manager like Luis Rojas maybe get inventive, maybe use, you know, a guy that normally would close or be in a closing situation in that stopper role uh, when you're in the sixth inning and say, hey, you know what? This is the big part of the lineup. Let's keep them off the board right here and use my closer, aka you know one of the back end guys, to keep the other team down. And then as the lineup turns down to the bottom part and up to the top again, you can use somebody else you know, in, in a middle relief more type role and not have to uh, worry about getting to the ninth inning before you start using those those bigger names, those guys that you're counting on. I think Luis Rojas is going to have to do some things like that, especially early on, because you're already 60 games left in the season where you're going to have to figure out and you don't have time to figure out who's going to be the closer or, or have that responsibility to be one guy. I think the Mets have good arms in the back end of that bullpen, guys who've closed before. Similar to what the Yankees had a few years ago, where they had three guys who were just the, you know, a, a top three, a top five of closers in the American League. You have a guy like Familia who saved over 50 games. You got you've got Batances who has been a back end guy, a staple with the Yankees. And if he can be three quarters as good as he was as a Yankee, I think it's gonna be more than enough. And Diaz has to have that bounce back. But you still have Justin Wilson uh from the left side, a, a guy that you're counting on. It's Seth Lugo, those five guys right there, I don't want them worn out because we know they play 13 games right out the shoot before an off day. I don't want those guys worn out. But again, I don't think you can possibly let games get away, especially when you're playing against the Atlanta Braves at least, what, six times in the first 13 days. That's where you got to make sure that you are stay on top of your game and every one of these games early on really do count. Yeah, those limited off days are key because it's going to affect how you use that bullpen. From July 24th to August 23rd, they have one off day, and that's on August, Thursday, August 6th. So, and then, you know, when you have a situation where it's day game after night game, Luis Rojas has a very unique role as manager this year and a lot to do. But really, you said it, the big five, Lugo, Wilson, Familia, Batances, Diaz. Those are the guys you have to turn to give the ball to almost every day. So while the starters are going to get a lot of pitches, you got to try and squeeze six innings out of these guys. And remember this year, there is no real lefty specialist because of the three batter rule. You're not going to have a Jerry Blevins kind of pitcher. He has to go, you know, at the full inning or three batters. So hopefully Justin Wilson gives you a full inning and he's a guy who can sometimes go two innings. So you're going to need some two. The guys who aren't two innings are really familiar is terrible when he goes into a second inning, but Tantas, you don't 
don't want to do more than one, especially coming back from the injury. And Diaz, you don't want. So Wilson and Lugo out of those five are the only guys you really could and would want going two innings. So uh, Luis Rojas is going to have an interesting rookie manager role. Uh, the Mets are set with DeGrom Friday against the Braves in Soroka, 4 o'clock, City Field, 4, 10 p.m. First pitch. Super excited for that. Hopefully we're out watching that somewhere. Great job by the Yankees Sunday honoring the late Anthony Causey. Catching-wise, the guys these pitchers will throw to Figgy, Wilson Ramos, personal issues. We don't know why that was what was said, why he didn't go over the weekend. If I'm the Mets, I even 30, 28, or 26 carry three catchers. I'm not in love with Tomas Nito. He's, he's out of options just like Walter Lockett, so both of them are probably going to be here. Nito's probably going to be your backup, but I think you need that veteran and the you know lost some weight too in Rene Rivera. I think it's important to have three catchers in case someone does go down. Yeah, the, but the taxi squad, most taxi squads are going to be a one catcher because that's such an important position, and remember, the catcher is going to be the guy in the closest proximity to the other players and the constant batters that are coming up, and so his health is going to be tested more than anybody else, uh, quite frankly. And so you have to have that extra catcher in the mix. And I think every taxi squad is required to have one catcher. And then the other two guys, because it's, it's a three-man taxi squad that goes on every road trip with the team, the other two guys can be whatever you want, two relievers, an infielder, an outfielder, whatever you want to do, however you want to mix and match for for uh, that series. Um, and early on, of course, Rene Rivera being put on the 40-man roster, lost a ton of weight, looks good. You know what kind of a veteran catcher he is. Um, he was a guy that worked really, really well with Noah Syndergaard, has the best numbers. Noah Syndergaard's numbers are the best when pitching to Rene Rivera. No Noah Syndergaard this year, but Rene Rivera is just a very astute catcher, knows each guy and pitches to their strengths. There's no time to worry about fixing someone's weaknesses when you're at the big league level. So you have to really focus on their strengths and how they can get three times through a lineup if they're a starter. I mean, nowadays, two times through a lineup, that's what most teams will take and tip their cap and then move on to the bullpen there. But in this short season, you know, you're going to see teams trying to do different things. I, I'm, I would be shocked, shocked, shocked if Tampa Bay Rays did not try and reinvent baseball all over again. They've done it for the last three seasons with the opener and having uh, all these flamethrowing arms, putting them in different situations and having that success that they've had, at least 93 wins every single year in that American League East with a, what, a third of the payroll as some of the other teams. Yet, I think this will be their finest year where uh, that's the team that I'm looking at more so than the Yankees and, and any of the big money teams. The Tampa Bay Rays could reinvent baseball with the way that they have been willing to try things the way that no one else has. And uh, it's not about money ball. It's really been about the analytics and maximizing their roster and maximizing the fact that they have these 15 bullpen arms that it seems like one each and every one of them is better than the next and so you're going to see them probably do something so different maybe even a three-man rotation where you have that fourth game being the opener and then hey if there's an off day we skip and go right back to that number one guy again but that, that's something that you're gonna see uh, out of a team that's willing to do that and willing to try that I don't know if the Mets in this market are willing to try that because it used to be hey, the fans, what are, what are the fans going to think? They were going to boo them right out the stadium for trying all this knuckleheadedness. Well, when you're in Tampa Bay and there's no fans, they've been playing winning baseball, trying to do everything and reinventing the wheel, and it's worked. So I, I think that's something that you'll look at, and, and maybe Rojas has to have a, it's almost the committee with Rojas of the front office, the analytics department, you know, and everybody else 
giving input to make these lineups to put together the roster and it'll be interesting to see you know which of the first 30 guys that they take you know with them to start out the season a couple things to note there you mentioned the Rays the Mets will you know remember that name because the Mets in September 21st 22nd 23rd at City Field have three could be very important games before they close the season with four in DC against the Nats three could be very important games against those Rays so you know they're probably going to be in the Rays too so that three game series in September as we you know look at the schedule a little bit here uh you know four against the Orioles will be must wins and then the three against the Blue Jays wherever the Blue Jays play if it's in Buffalo or whatever it's not going to be in Canada I mean it looks like it's gonna be Buffalo but who knows that's a weird situation days before the season and you have no clue uh, where you're going to play. You mentioned Rene Rivera lost weight. Proud to announce I'm down to 230 pounds from 236 over the course of months. It's really nothing to actually cheer about. But I just <laughs> so, about, to... so about a pound a month. Good yeah, job. I'm averaging a nice pound a month. So basically, you know, one extra tuna sandwich over a chicken parm hero a month. And, uh, you know, the high cholesterol, bring, trying to bring that down. So we're all trying to lose some weight. Familia lost 30 pounds. He's in good shape. He's due for a big year. So the bounce back boys for the Mets. Um, and, you know, we'll talk about it in a, in a a minute with Mike Puma the Cano thing we all know he shouldn't be batting third he should be six my optimal oh, and we'll talk Thursday or extensive opening day preview my optimal lineup is Nimmo McNeil Alonzo Conforto Cespedes Cano Davis Ramos Rosario you know maybe you argue put Cano even seventh below Davis you know I like the lefty lefty righty lefty righty lefty righty and then you finish it off with Ramos Rosario righties it's just weird he's behind he's 37 and uh, nothing against Cano I think he's a big part of the team but he's not a three hitter anymore he's just not and while he's a good contact player he's not gonna bop a lot of home runs this year and he's behind the other guys and he's older so I just don't get him batting third put Pete Alonso there it should automatically be Nimmo McNeil Alonso enough of this Alonso in the two spot you want him with two or three guys on base even if Alonso was fourth and Conforto third this is just getting out of hand with Cano batting third first off I'm gonna go on the Pete not batting second thing honestly I I used to love the two spot when it was Conforto who was that guy that I felt had the most potent bat in the lineup a guy like Cespedes he loves the idea of being the cleanup hitter that's the biggest hitter in the lineup and you know since baseball started in today's day and age you're going to look around baseball and the best hitter on the team is usually batting second. We see it with Mike Trout. We saw it with Aaron Judge. We saw it with Pete Alonso. You want to have that big bopper and have an opportunity for him to come up with runners in scoring position and with an opportunity to drive in runs. You're talking about that first at bat, maybe getting two guys in front of him. I'm talking about him coming up with the guys in the bottom of the lineup that make it on and you're looking at a Rosario, a Wilson Ramos. And if, you know, Nimmo gets on ahead of him, he's still going to have those uh, that three RBI opportunity at some point in the game, whether it's his first at bat or but his last at bat, you can also argue, Figgy, that that McNeil is their best pure hitter, average wise, and that's why he should be in the two. Because you know, if Nimmo gets on base, he's a guy, and he talked about this with the media. He can get it in those holes when he when Nimmo gets on, he has the ability to get it in between first and second base and get those little seeing eye singles. And you need that. And I think if you put, you know, there's a good chance with Nimmo and McNeil's OBPs could both be close to 400. You have Pete Alonso coming out with multiple guys on, and if Rosario at, at the nine spot could actually draw some more walks and get his OBP up, we saw him get his average up last year. You got multiple guys on base. I just don't see why you would support Alonso being two and not three or four. 
Well, that's uh, another thing you have to realize. McNeil was a very good leadoff hitter as well because of a he he doesn't like to walk. That's not what McNeil does. But what McNeil does is he puts the bat on the ball. And if it's that first pitch, he goes into those home run streaks where he kind of, you know, will swing at one of the first two pitches and, and go into launch mode a little bit. And his average dropped in the second half because of it. But his power numbers skyrocketed. I like McNeil at the top of the lineup more so than a Brandon Nimmo. Brandon Nimmo, his niche is that three two walk right? But I've seen him over the past two years strike out or lead almost the team in strikeouts for a leadoff hitter. So for a guy who has the ability to have that kind of an eye and he has that flatter bat swing where he's not looking to do launch angle, he has to, for me, more contact on the ball. And as a leadoff hitter, he was striking out way too many times. His, his He was striking out almost as much as Aaron Judge. And Aaron Judge is that power hitter, big swing. And here it is. Nimmo was in the top five of strikeouts at one point over the last two seasons when he was playing regularly. You said to this isn't the same guy, right? But teams get hip to this is a guy who will take that third strike because he thinks he has a better eye than the umpire. And he was losing that battle and constantly losing that battle. I need Nimmo to be more of that contact guy. So for me, McNeil leads off. I don't care about speed at the top of the lineup. Stolen bases aren't a big part of the game. McNeil can run just as well from first to third and you know, and score on a gapper if Alonzo's coming up second. I think what you're looking to do is balance out this lineup. And we'll get back to the real reason we're having this conversation is, is Cano. Where does he fit in if he's no longer that threat of a hitter? And that's what you're really looking for is the threat of Robbie Cano. Is it is it more of a Cano to have Robbie Cano coming up in the three hole or somebody like Cespedes, Conforto, Alonzo? Obviously, those three names are going to jump off the board at you. And as a pitcher, you're going to tighten up a little bit more. But I think that's what Cano can do, move him down in the lineup. And if he's that six or seven hole hitter, that shows you the depth that you have in a lineup. And it's not about what he's making and, and the expectations. But Robbie Cano is a professional hitter for left side. If a pitcher is a lefty, righty, doesn't matter. So uh, you don't buy into the theory, and Mike Puma mentions this, that he is hitting third partly because Brody was his was his agent and because he's got three years left on his contract and you want to keep him happy for the next couple of years. You think, you know, you don't think that plays any factor into all this? No, because after this contract, he's retiring. So what does it matter to him if he's hitting lower in the lineup, if he's going to have success lower in the lineup, if he's going to have three years of failing in the middle of the lineup and, you know, killing rallies and not not able to come through in the clutch and have all that expectations on his shoulders, then he's not going to have a good time regardless. So you don't think that affects his ego going from three to six or seven? No, I honestly don't because Robbie Cano, to me, and knowing him the way I do, it's not a ego thing if he looks around and he sees exactly what we just said hey in the three hole you've got conforto alonzo or cespedes it's not as if you have a three hole hitter who's not a proven guy you don't have a three hole hitter batting above cano who you know isn't a guy that can get the job done if you have a three hole hitter a guy who hasn't proven himself and and he's playing in seattle still and it's a guy that you never heard of, then you're like, okay, wait a minute. This is still Robinson Cano. You want to let him have his at-bats and big moments. There's going to be plenty of moments in this lineup. This lineup is, and we say this every year, I know it sounds like a broken record. This lineup is as deep as I've ever seen it, if they're healthy, right? You have the the ability to mix and match a little bit better. You were just going through the lineup, and here's a lefty, righty, 
lefty righty left you could do that all day right and and you like the fact that you can flip flop against whoever the starter is and th- these guys can handle do you want a guy like robbie cano who can handle the bat against lefty righties you don't have to worry about switching for that seven hole hitter later on in the game you still have a robinson cano that can get the job done and i don't think we've we've obviously not seen the best of robinson cano and i'm not sitting here going to be like oh he's going to hit 25 home runs in 60 games but you know what i think he's going to have quality at bats i don't think you're going to have throwaway at bats out of a robinson cano just because of his age at 37 yeah and rojas says you know he wanted to get him more at bats maybe that was part of the reason so it's an endless discussion and we'll get into that as well you know a guy who's not going to be in the lineup it seems like it's chad lowry i mean he's a topic every week he doesn't want to be a topic so we make him one you know he can't run he can't field the only thing he can do hit i'm very confident in his ability to be a solid hitter and maybe he is at some point a pinch hitter for this team but because of his lack of range and the big brace unless they imply a new rule that you could run for him the jake brown mo vaughn rule maybe uh <laughs> you know he can't run for him he, he can't run a first he's got to run by himself and he's got to field by himself so there's not going to be as many pinch hitters this this year with the dh and the nl it's going to change the outlook and how to manage very much and you know biggie's been staring at me uh shirtless essentially as we do this show a guy who had to endure that is mike puma and he (laughs) endures the dad bod which you know the new york posted a story about zach efron and this new dad bod if zach efron's a dad bod then God, I am Oof. no longer a dad bod because you got a granddad bod. Yeah, I mean he, his dad bod is like the o- uber dad bod. Like it was next level. So uh, I don't know. I mean, listen, Mike Puma was not looking at me thinking, man, I wish Jake had OnlyFans for podcasters. Uh, <laughs> he would not pay the nine ninety nine subscription fee. Uh, to see this right now in my living room it is bro it is 90 and this is the thing these dog days of summer with these games it is 95 degrees outside Mm -hmm. like i am sweat i sweat on my walk to the bodega these guys are playing (laughs) full games like it is Mm -hmm. insane how hot it is in new york right now so you wonder why i'm shirtless it's because I'm I got a fan on low power, so it doesn't make too much noise, and it's just hot as balls. So nothing. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I'm telling you, we we we're gonna discuss it at greater length on Thursday's show and looking at the schedule. But starting out with 13 games in a row, we're talking about the highest heat at the end of July, early August. This isn't April. This isn't where you can kind of go through the motions of okay, we're all right. You know, we got plenty of time. That you're gonna have to play these games and 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 manage these games and like. You're talking about that oh there's no strategy with the dh they're absolutely a strategy because you're going to need to make some changes some defensive changes dom smith when does he come in in a game oh is it after peter alonzo has that last you know that third at bat in the ball game and then you bring in dom smith for defensive defensive prowess at first base and, and what do you do you know for the other guy so if cespedes does start in left field after his third at bat do you put in jd davis then you know and, and have a guy who can move a little bit more mcneil can you know start at third base where does he end up does he move over to second for cano and later on in the game and when you have these these high temperature games right out the shoot it's going to be a factor you're, you're not used to going into dog days of summer right out the shoot so it'll be interesting to see all the way around baseball i think this year and and we're looking at some of the predictions of you know where the mets could finish and when you're thinking 60 games and you're finishing three games over 500 at you know 33 wins or something of that nature that's where you're looking at yeah american league east and the national league east is no 
joke. And so you're going to have to beat up on each other. You know, the best team is going to be the last one standing here. And, and the team, we always say it every year, team that finishes the healthiest. I don't even know if it's the healthiest. It's the ones that can adjust quickly to all the extra things like no fans, no crowds, uh, the travel, you know, being in four cities in 13 days. The NBA, we laugh about the NBA players, right? If they have three games in a week, it's like, oh my God, how do we expect LeBron to play at his at his height if he's at three games uh, in, in a week? We're talking about 13 games in a row to start out the season and in these kind of temperatures right out the shoot. So they're going to be tested very early on, on where their fitness level is and their stamina is right in the beginning of the season. And Figgy played baseball, wasn't great at mass, so 33 wins is actually six games over 500 not three you know i can't difference. i can't make fun of you because i just discovered recently that pink lemonade contains cranberry juice i really I honestly never realized that or knew that what do you think it was I, I thought i don't know i don't know pink like lemons <laughs> Oh I, ne I never realized what it contained. I guess this is why I'm not a great cook or chef or I just go to get pink lemonade and not make it myself because <laughs> my dumb ass probably would have put like food coloring in there or something. Uh, but it is truly pink lemonade season in this weather. And we can confirm that pink lemonade is better than original lemonade. And I, I, I guess that's that cr <laughs> cranberry element to it. We're but, trying to get another sponsor here? What's going on? Yes. Uh, I don't even know the brand names. I just drink them. Uh, pink lemonade, high for the sugar, bad for the cholesterol. Not bad for the cholesterol is Mike Puma, New York Post. That's why they pay me the big bucks for transitions like pink lemonade and Mike Puma. They both start with peace. Oh, Mike boy. Puma will join us next right here on Amazing But True from the New York Post. And joining us now as we are days away from opening day. And, man, I just cannot wait for baseball. We kind of got a tease over the weekend for the Subway Series. And the Mets and the Yankees played, one at City Field, one at Yankee Stadium. And Mike Puma's been there covering the Mets, as he always does, at New York Post underscore Mets on Twitter. Catches stories in the physical newspaper, if you get it, online or in nypost.com. Mike, what was the feeling like this weekend? First off, City Field with cardboard cutouts and and uh, no fans, and uh, was it eerie? Was it weird? And then Sunday, uh, no fans at all, just empty seats. Yeah, it, it's going to take a little adjusting, too, I think, for everybody. Uh, just, you know, the, the energy that's lacking from the ballpark without any fans in there, it's just weird. I mean, you know, they have the some of the crowd noise they're piping in and the music, obviously, and at times you can get fool yourself a little bit into thinking it, it, it's like normal, but uh, most of the time you're looking around and it's just like, wow, I can see how the, you know, the players can have some trouble getting pumped up for this. It, it, it just doesn't seem like a major league baseball game. The crowd noise was kind of weird because it one, it seemed like a little delayed. And there were times like where a single got more cheers than like a home run. It was just kind of all over the place. Did you feel that it was kind of out of place or maybe this was just like a, a test run and they're going to fix uh, out a few kinks in the iron? Yeah, I think, I think it's a uh, spring training for the, uh, sound people too they're they're trying to figure out what the heck is going on here a little bit too i think when you look at what's going on is really you're learning that the fans do matter i i i say it over and over again one of the greatest thrills about playing at the major league level is that there's 40,000 people cheering and whether they're cheering or booing that is palpable it's palpable for a ball player and like you said Mike it's hard to see these players reacting the same way they would react you know when you're getting the piped in noise and there's literally just some cardboard cutouts that aren't moving and it, I just can't imagine playing a whole season this way I played in the minor leagues where there were no fans I played in the major leagues in Milwaukee when there was you know seven, 13 to 17,000 fans in a huge dome stadium so I understood what that 
that was like. And, and when you're used to playing in front of fans and especially large crowds, it's got to be different. The, the, even even just for you, uh, you know, the roar of the action, you know, the crack of the bat and everything else, you, it's, it's got to be different even for the writers up in the booth. Yeah, absolutely. You know, going to the ballpark, you, you get you get pumped up uh, as a member of the media, even knowing if, if there's going to be a big crowd or, uh, you know, even if there's just a de- decent crowd in the stands and uh, there, there's some good stuff that goes on in the field. But so, you know, I, Brandon Nimmo had a comment last night about, well, I'm a little bit uh, adjusted to this because I'm used to playing in Miami, which was kind of a, a funny <laughs> comment. But and you, you know, you go to Miami and there's five, six thousand people in the stands, if that, and you're just like, you know, what what the heck is this? And now you, you look around uh, everywhere, and it, it's even worse than that. I love that Brandon Nimmo said that because he's like the nicest guy in baseball, and he just just takes a huge dump on the Marlins in Miami, and <laughs> you just didn't expect that. But honestly, 2020 is the year of the unexpected. Every day there's something new, so it doesn't surprise me in the slightest now all you know there's some you know delusional fans and people on Mets Twitter who actually put stock into these two losses to the Yankees I think we look at it as baseball and see how guys look what's your overall thoughts on what you saw the pitching the lineup I think the thing that stands out Mike is the Robinson Cano scenario where there is no way he should be batting third but he has been but do you put stock into these lineups and do they even matter? Is it going to be exactly what it looks like in five days? I I, th- I think Luis Rojas is, is going to mix things up a, a lot, but I think we will see Cano in the middle of that lineup, whether it's third or fifth or whatever. And that's just based on his track record. The fact that he's under contract for another three seasons after this, and you want to, try and keep him happy. And I think coming out of the gates here, you give him the benefit of the doubt that he can maybe perform as he did in the second half last season. So I I think that that's the way they're going to take it with the line. As far as the way the team performed over the week, hey, it's two exhibition games. You're trying to get guys into games. You're starting Corey Oswald at Yankee Stadium. I, I don't put any stock at all into the exhibition games. But with Cano, the fact that he's behind the other guys, shouldn't that factor in the lineup? I mean, I didn't think about the factor of he's here a couple more years, you want to keep him happy, but he's behind some of the guys who have an extra week of swings. I just feel like he's better in the sixth spot with Alonzo third, Conforto four, Cespedes five, Rob six, and then Davis seven. It just feels like he's, he's rusty and he's, he, you know, he's 36 years old. I mean, he's older than some of these guys that should be ahead of him. Yeah, he's actually 30. 37 years old and I totally agree with you he should be hitting down in the order if, if you're sitting here penciling in the best Mets lineup you have Cano I would probably have him seventh in the lineup you know but it's just the way it is and and Robinson Cano he pulls a lot of weight Brody Van Wagenen was his agent Brody's calling a lot of the shots here I know you know it's a collaboration. Luis Rojas isn't coming in and saying, hey, this is the way I'm, I'm, I'm going to construct the lineup. He's sitting down and getting guidance from the front office on this. But I also think at the same time, if you're Luis Rojas, this is the first two exhibition games. You're going to put Robinson Cano in that position and see what happens, right? You want to see him facing whoever the starter is and then maybe even facing one of the top relievers that come out. Usually the closers, you know, jump into that sixth inning role, a fifth inning role in a, in a jam. So you want Robinson Cano up in that situation. I I wouldn't be surprised if he's dropped down in the lineup. Listen, if the Mets lineup is deep enough to push a Robinson Cano down to the seven spot, that's only good for the for the team. I, I don't I, I understand, you know, you want to mentally keep him happy. He knows who, you know, he knows he's 37. Jake might not know, but he knows he's 37. I think that when the opening bell rings and Luis Rojas is you know, giving some input, giving some input into how to make the lineup. Robinson Cano could be, you know, the 
opening day batting third. But if he has to drop down, so be it as the season goes on, because you don't have time to sit around and wait for him to get hot or to get enough swings to catch up to speed. So I, I think what we're seeing early on here, especially in, in these two exhibition games, he's going to get the reps. It wasn't like Cano put the bat down when spring training was paused and said, I, I you know, didn't take any swings or wasn't hitting against people. I still believe that Cano is going to be a productive. He's a productive hitter. He's still going to be able to give you productive at bats. And if you're going to move that down to the seventh spot, so be it. Yeah, and I, I think basically along the line you said they'll they'll give it a couple of weeks here, and if he, he comes out and he's he's not hitting, I think he'll agree that it's best for the team to move down. But I, I think they give him the benefit of the doubt coming out of the shoot here and, and go from there. Uh, the bullpen is a question mark right now because Robert Gazelman. First off, is he going to be ready? But you have a chance of missing him, Brad Brock, and Jared uh, Crazy Eyes Hughes. You might have to insert Walter Lockett and Hunter Strickland, and there may be the chance that we see guys like Corey Oswald and Daniel Zamora, where I thought I think Mets fans have had enough nightmares about them over the last year or two. Yeah, it, it's not shaping up great with the bullpen situation. Now the Gesellman thing with the triceps. Yeah, and I, it's not like I could say there's anybody who's really jumped out in camp here. I mean, Hunter Strickland, at least as a veteran, has been around a little bit, and uh, I guess you can insert him in the back end. I think they're going to keep Walker Lockett because he's out of options here, and he's a guy, if you need an emergency start or something like that, you could throw him in there. Where they go from there, I'm not, I'm not sure. You know, Tyler Batchelor hasn't looked particularly good in the uh, – inter-squad scrimmages and you know you have Paul Seawald still around but you know you've kind of seen enough of him at this point to know that he's probably not the answer Zamora the other night certainly didn't look good so the back end you know when you're getting down to six seven eight whatever in that bullpen it's it, it, there's no obvious answers right now Paul Seawald and uh you, you mentioned Paul Seawald and I'll add him to melatonin and all the list of nightmares that I had <laughs> from Paul Seawald Tyler Bachelor. I mean I've lost lots of sleep well what I'm looking at for the bullpen, and and of course you want those big five that you have locked up in the back end of that bullpen. So that's the ones that we really care about, right? We have to get through the starters, being able to uh, hand over the ball right to that, you know, th those five guys. If you have that, then you have a chance for success. When those guys are going to pitch and whoever it may be, those are kind of those situations where it's not, they're not getting in the big moments of the game. They're not going to be thrown into the middle of the fight. They're going to be, you know, in a, in a tie ball game or when the team's down to eat up innings kind of thing. And I, I'm not really concerned. I'm, I'm not seeing Tyler Bachelor coming in and, and trying I to. I hope uh, they're not in a the tie ball in game. You want them in mop up duty, if anything. That's what I'm saying. But in a tie ball, in other words, if we're getting towards extra innings and, the, you know, I, I'm excited for the first time we're going to see a guy on second with, you know, just to start out the uh, extra inning fiascos. But I, I'm not worried about the bullpen um, when it comes to that. And again, Hunter Strickland is still a guy who can hit 98 miles an hour and has done it at a high level. So I'm not if your fallback is Hunter Strickland. The other guys, I know you hate them, but I was one of those other guys. So I could see Sorry the mixing and matching. <laughs> I could see the mixing and matching. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, Paul Seawald has had some success in short spurts, things like that. But you're not counting on those guys. So even worrying about, you know, seeing a lot of them. If you're seeing a lot of them, there's bigger problems on the board. Yeah, that, that, that's a good assessment. I mean, obviously the biggest concern right now is is getting those high-end guys. You know, we, we've seen Familias look pretty good. Now you want to get – 
Edwin Diaz or Batanzas. You want to have two of those three guys really going if, if you're going to have a, a solid bullpen here. If Paul Seawalt's had success in the big leagues, then I'm Mike Francesa. But uh, opening day is Friday. Um, no, that's mean. He, he has had cups of coffee. That, that's mean to Mike Francesa. Uh, I get it. <laughs> Back after this. Um, Friday, it looks like DeGrom's ready. Is is he locked and loaded for Friday? Because obviously simulated game, you see nine strikeouts, but simulated game, whatever. Is he locked and loaded for Friday against the Braves? Yeah, I, I have to think you're, that he's ready at this point. He's, he's up to about 60 pitches. Now they'll try to get him, uh, I guess, to 85 on, on for the opener on Friday. And uh, you have to believe he's ready to go. You know, the back thing came kind of out of nowhere last week. And uh, for now, you just take him at his word that he thinks maybe he slept wrong or something like that. Yeah, that's something that we know from Jake. It happened at almost every spring training down in Florida. It was very... It was one, one of those things where he you got to get used to sleeping on someone else's mattress. I think we went over that last week's show with Jake. Don't ever sleep on another man's mattress. Get your own. Um, Always get but, Tempur-Pedic. Yeah, with, with uh, the Grom, though, 98 to 100 mile an hour fastballs. Yes, the nine punch outs are awesome, and I don't care who it's against. I just like seeing the ball coming out of his hand with that kind of electricity yet again. And uh, when the opening day bell rings, uh, to have him on the mound, you got to say advantage Mets right there. Yeah. You know, anytime DeGrom pitches this year, you think they're going to win. Now he'll go Friday, and then uh, it looks like they're going to keep him as part of a five-man. I thought maybe they might experiment with the idea of shortening the rotation uh, because of the short season. And But, the, you know, that's something they can tinker with, I guess, if you get into late September and uh, it, it, it's a tight race and you want to pitch DeGrom more, I think they'll do that. All right, Mike, before we let you go, we won't be having you on Thursday's show, so we need your prediction for the season. What do the Mets do in this 60-game season? So I, I've got them, I think, at 33 wins, which that extrapolates out to around 88, 89, something like that. And I, I think they'll win the NL East. Wow. And do they, do they go in a deep playoff run or have you not thought that far? I haven't gone. I haven't thought that far, but yeah, I, I, I can see him winning the NL East here with 33 wins. I love it. I love it. And I, I, you know, I have similar thoughts that they will be in the playoffs and obviously the expanded no expansion of the playoffs makes every game that much more important follow mike puma at ny post underscore mets read his stories in the post and at nypost.com mike i hope you don't have nightmares from seeing me shirtless on this conversation right now and uh if you do i apologize i'm gonna need a psychotherapist after this <laughs> charge it to the post <laughs> that's right, right mike. thanks mike all right guys That'll put the icing on the cake for episode 11 of Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake for producing the show. Subscribe if you haven't already to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you use Apple, please rate us five stars and write a positive review. For former Matt Nelson Figueroa, I'm Jake Brown. Guess what? We'll be back on Thursday as we get you ready. Yes, opening day Friday with our Mets season preview and predictions. We'll see you all on Thursday. Stay safe, everybody.